Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Talking City podcast. I'm joined by Chief City Writer Stu Brennan. Hello. And uh, Football Writer Dan O'Toole. Hi. Uh, we're just coming off the back of an, uh, an international break in which City players featured for England um, in both the games against Spain and against Switzerland. What were your two uh, views on, on England's games at the weekend? Well, as much as you, you can ever get excited about international football, and I don't, um, I, th- I thought they, they did all right. You know, the uh, the Spain game was always going to be a tough game. Um, it's not really about the result; it's about about sort of seeing evidence of further progress uh, in terms of, of what what England, and Gareth Southgate, are trying to do, and the fact that they then added to that by by beating Switzerland. Um, is just just a little bonus really but uh, I'm, I'm just grateful that we're, we've got it all over with and we're getting back to some proper football this weekend personally well what did we really learn from it uh, Delft got his first run out in what feels like a very long time and I think you could see signs of his rustiness through you know no fault of his own uh, but it was interesting to see him playing back in midfield because obviously for City last season he was playing at left back and he was, he was operating in a bit of a bit of a three wasn't he against Switzerland but uh, I don't think he's given Pep Guardiola much of a headache in terms of his midfield for the the Fulham game uh, One of Gareth Southgate's um, biggest uh, kind of talking points from from the round of fixtures was his decision to select Joe Gomez in defence in a, in a three man defence in the um, in the defeat by Spain on Saturday night Kyle Walker obviously missing out and coming back in against Switzerland do you think he's place in England starting 11 is under threat with Joe, uh, Joe Gomez he's good form for Liverpool at the start of the season well, it clearly is I mean I think he's no I think Kyle's nose was put out joint a little bit over the summer because he wanted to play right back at the World Cup but the fact that Kieran Trippier came in and played extremely well as probably England's best player and has pretty much for the moment made that right back or right wing back position his own you know you can't really deny that um of course, the irony is that he was a he was a City player originally uh, before they let him go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does seem that way. So those two things combine, combine the fact that that Trippier has has, has got that right wing back position sewn up for the time being, and then Joe Gomez has come along and played really well for Liverpool and uh, and, and sort of earned his place. It makes you wonder wonder where Walker is but Walker's a class act you know we've, we've seen it already this season just what he brings to City and uh, he won't take it lying down you know he can expect he'll go out and start performing for City and uh, expect to get his place back for England I mean he'd, he'd prefer to play, play on the right hand side if the truth be told he's, he's made no no bones about that um, and I think his performances so far this season uh, have, have shown that he, you know Trippy is doing great, but whether he is the best right wing back or right back that, that England have got is a bit of a moot point. Of course, he the reason that Spurs uh, allowed Walker to go was that they had Trippier coming through and they, and they, they, they knew how good he was. Uh, if you talk to any of the, the coaches at City at the time when Trippier was a lad, they'll tell you that as well. Uh, a lot of them rated Trippier extremely highly. Um, so, you know, he, he's got a fight on his hand, Walker, but. The good news for City is that the way the way he'll sort of perform that fight is to is to go out and put in performances for his club. What's your take on the situation, Dan? 
I think he d- Walker did show his slight vulnerability uh, at the World Cup, especially playing in a more central role. I think you know in that, that first game he got found out from the header, didn't he? Um, uh, so yeah, I, I don't really see him going forward as being England's first choice at uh, the right centre back. It'll be interesting to see where he features when uh, when City do you know utilise that that system going forward in the odd game. Uh, I can't really see him slotting in a back three. I think he'll always play the uh, in the wing back role for under Pep Guardiola. Uh, moving out of defence and into the attack, um, Marcus Rashford took advantage of Raheem Sterling's withdrawal from the squad. As is Sterling another player who's in danger of losing his regular spot for England as a result of Rashford's good form for for his country? I think he possibly is, but you got to remember, I mean, Sterling Sterling pulled out of the the squad with injury. I mean, you got to wonder how injured he was when he's uh, we've seen him back in training for City this week, and from what we from what we know. Uh, he should be in contention for the game at the weekend against Fulham. Um, but you know, you, you've got to put this in perspective. I mean, Rashford's done great. I, I mean, personally, as a Mancunian, I was delighted to see uh, England have Danny Welbeck and Marcus Rashford up front. You know, two Manchester lads. It was it was, it was great for the city. Um, and of course, there's a clamour growing now about uh, Rashford should should have that position permanently. Um, He's, he's, he's scored the two goals in the, that England have scored uh, in this international break but it, it all depends which way you look at it if you look at it in terms of performing for England Rashford probably deserves his place you know he's, whenever he's played for England he's done well he's scored goals but if you look at it in in a wider context in terms of uh, the way they perform for the club you know it's Sterling all ends up he's, he's been playing for, he's been picked repeatedly by Guardiola uh, for a City team that's head and shoulders above everybody else in the Premier League Rashford is playing for an inferior team in that Premier League and rarely gets a start you know he's not he's not being picked by, by Mourinho now you could, you could argue that that's Mourinho's fault but the fact remains that Sterling has completely outperformed Rashford over the last two years probably um, in terms of club football so Gareth Southgate's dilemma is: Does he go with that? Does he does he sort of look at the way Sterling's playing with his club, uh, even though he hasn't quite? I mean, he's been playing played in a different way for England. He's been asked to perform a different role, which a lot of people don't seem to to realise. Uh, or does he just see the fact that Rashford has, has come in and he's the man in form for England and scored the goals and puts this? Way? I mean, it's Gareth Southgate's shout at the end of the day. But if you're asking me which is the better striker of the two I think it's Sterling undoubtedly I think Rashford's got tremendous potential and uh, he, he could one day be, be on the same level as Sterling but I don't think he is at the moment Dan would you would you agree with that? Yeah mainly I'd say it's quite easy to forget that Rashford is only 20 still he seems to have been on the scene for a good 3 or 4 years now um, but obviously he's 3 years Sterling's junior so he's got a lot of room to develop um, I think on, on Sterling, as good as he has been, I think if he'd, you know, maybe been a bit better in front of goal last season, I think he'd have got, you know, well up there with 30 goals. So maybe that's the thing that he can really push on this season to make sure that there is no debate between him and Rashford. Another uh, City player who was in the headlines during the international break was Leroy Sane. Uh, it was announced after Germany's game against France that he would be leaving the squad. There was a lot of speculation that there might have been a breakdown in relations between him and Yogi Love. But it came out quite soon after that he'd left the squad to be with his partner who'd just given birth to the child. Um, 
he's had a, quite a tough start to the season obviously a bit of a hangover from being left out of the German World Cup squad what do you think he kind of needs to do to get back on track and rediscover the form that he did that he had last season he's just got to get his head down and work hard in training I mean it's a bit of a stock answer it's a bit of a footballer's answer but, but that's, that's the basis of it I think the, we get the idea that there's, there's something going on because you know all this talk immediately when we heard that Sane had left the Germany camp everybody you know the, the, the gossip's all kicking to overdrive oh something's gone wrong he's had a fallout as it turns out completely innocent explanation in that his, his partner's about to give birth so he's, he's left with a blessing of the Germany squad uh, and there's no hard feelings and you get the same feeling with City you know he's, he's not started a game yet this season last time out he was left out of the squad um, Guardiola has done it to him before Guardiola did it at the start of last season as well where he, he, he rarely played him in the first half dozen games and Sane's reaction to that his response was, was tremendous you know, he, he he started work. He was working hard in training, uh, and when he got his chance, he absolutely blitzed it, and he was he was in the team for the rest of the season. So, I think whenever a player gets left out, you got to remember that City have got a, a fairly big first team squad. It's, it's by no means the biggest in the Premier League, but when they're all fit and they almost all are, apart from De Bruyne. Um, you know, there's there's an awful lot of competition. Somebody's going to get left out. You know, last week he included Foden and left Sane out. If he'd have done it the other way around, everyone would have been saying, "Oh, he's left Foden out again." You know, and that would have been the issue. The issue would have been Foden being repeatedly left out, just at a time when people are talking about England's future and City's future. Do you not think that Sane is more of an established first team member? Like, they, it's more of a shock when he's left out of the squad than, say, Phil Foden, who's not really. I know, he, I know he's coming through, but he's not really broken through in the way that Sane has done so far. He is, yeah, that's exactly right. But the way the way Guardiola's portraying it this, is this season that Foden is that person now. You know, he is in contention. He's in contention every bit as much as everybody else. And, and the fact that Sane's got games behind him, he's got appearances behind him, doesn't doesn't really count in your favour. You know, if Foden's the one who's who's turned it on in training, you know, and, he, and he's looking good in training, well, he, he wants his place in the match day squad. There clearly is an issue there in in terms of uh, Guardiola's trying to get Sane up to a certain standard. I know he, he made noises during the summer when we were in, uh, over in the states um, along the lines of. He wasn't entirely happy with with Sane, you know, with with his approach. Um, it, as as we said, he did it last season. He wasn't entirely happy with his fitness and his his approach going into the season. So perhaps it's, it's something about pre-season. Perhaps Sane is not not good in pre-season, uh, and and then he only sort of starts getting up to speed once the season gets underway. Um, that that may be the issue. But uh, Guardiola is 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 dealing with it. There doesn't seem to be any great problem. We're not hearing any noises coming out of Sane's camp that he's, he's, you know, he's upset or he's unhappy. I think he, he I think Guardiola will have kept him fully informed as to what he expects. And uh, Sane's just got to knuckle down, work hard, get his. We all know his quality. You know, he's he's one of the best players in the world on his day. He's, he's completely unplayable. So it's just a case of getting him back to that player. And I, I think it'll come sooner rather than later. The other issue, of course, is Benjamin Mendy. If Mendy plays, do you need Sane on the left? Because Mendy does both jobs. He does, you know, he's, he's playing as a left winger and the, and the left back. So, you know, that, that makes it more difficult for Sane to get his place back. What's your take on that, that final comment from Stu? Do you think 
that Benjamin, Benjamin Mendy's good form might keep Sane from re- regaining his place back in the side. I think it's not just Mendy. I think uh, Mahrez's introduction, I think that's not done Sane many favours at all. You know, you'd, you'd think Sane might be, might be able to switch over to the right wing this season a bit with, with Mendy flying up and down the, you know, the left-hand side uh, and cut inside and shoot. We've seen him do it before. Um, but, you know, as much as it's clearly an issue there between him and Guardiola, sometimes managers just, you know, they've got players earmarked for later on in the season. I think it was the case with Nicky Bottle and Michael Carrick on the other side of town. They won't necessarily play, you know, the opening few months of the season because the manager would have, you know, them in mind for later on in the, in the league. And, you know, as the Champions League gets rolling, you play in twice a week. So I think the start of the season is not the best judge of where a player's at with the manager. Uh, even though there's clearly something not quite right there between Sonny and, and Guardiola. Uh, moving off the pitch and into the stands to what I'm now calling on my notes empty seat gate. Could you sum up, Stu, what this issue is with inflated attendance figures that City and other clubs in the Premier League have been announcing? Well, it's basically the BBC um, putting a freedom of information request to, to Trafford Council and to Great Manchester Police and uh, various other police bodies and local authorities uh, throughout the country uh, that have got Premier League clubs in their, uh, under their jurisdiction uh, just to try and find out whether the, the attendances that clubs give out are accurate uh, because the police or some police forces and some local authorities keep their own tally. Uh, we're not entirely sure how they do that. I'm actually trying to find out at the moment how Great Manchester Police... Um, make that tally but the results of it the BBC put out uh, showing that in 12 games at the start of last season uh, City on average the, the gate that the uh, the police were tallying for City was 7,500 down on the gate that City were announcing on the night uh, and then to just to make it even more controversial uh, they then uh, printed the fact that the gate that Trafford Council and Greater Manchester Police um, gave for United attendances exactly tallied with what United were saying, to the, down to like the, the last person. You know, it was like seventy-six thousand five hundred and seventy-five. I think it might have been, uh, and that is exactly how many the police on Trafford Council thought were there as well, which looks a bit strange to me. But um, that's the basis of it, and of course. Uh, this has sort of fed into the uh, the old empty had jibes about City. You know, we've had United fans and Liverpool fans and Chelsea fans and everyone else. Oh, what a joke! You know, they, they can't fill their own stadium and the champions with a hundred points. Blah de blah de blah. Um, but it sort of it doesn't quite hit the the issue on the head. I mean, the real issue is that City do sell out for all the Premier League games. As long as you believe in City, you know, as long as you believe that they're telling the truth, but they sell their tickets for the Premier League games. And there are fans who can't get into the stadium, even though we know there are empty seats there. The real issue is that the system whereby those... If, if, if you're a season ticket holder and you don't go to the game, um, you can then sell the ticket back to City, who can sell it on to a fan who wants to go to the game. But that system is not very good. It's not very well publicised, it doesn't work very well. So you end up, a lot of fans will have a season ticket and decide not to go to the game for whatever reason. It might be on telly, it might be raining, who who knows. But they don't go to the game and then the seat doesn't get sold on so it ends up as an empty seat, even though it's been sold. The the, the attendance that City give out 
is how many tickets you've sold, not how many bums are on the seats. So if, if somebody is counting separately, there's every chance that um, the number of people, well, the pe- number of people who go through the turnstile is less than the uh, the number of tickets sold. So therefore, you end up with empty seats and you end up with people making jibes. But I don't know why they bother because Liverpool have had exactly the same problem. You know, the Liverpool Echo did a piece in April, I think it was, uh, saying that they've got 2,000 empty seats at home games. And this is, they've got a much smaller capacity than, than City and supposedly a massive worldwide global fan base um, where people are clamouring to, to get into the ground. And they, they've admitted they've got the same problem in that they've got fans wanting to get into the, the, the ground, but they've got 2,000 empty seats inside for the same reason. It's finding a way of selling on those seats when the, when the people who own them don't turn up. Um, it's, it's slightly different at United, but I don't think United fans can scoff too loudly either because they've had more than their share of, uh, of empty seats down the years. Dan, following on from Stu's comments about the, the resale system, do you think City need to do more to kind of promote that to make sure those seats aren't empty? And could they perhaps introduce a system whereby fans can buy the tickets for a, for a, for a lower price to ensure that those seats are filled for matches? I think it's a tricky one because, you know, on a, on a PR front, it's quite embarrassing uh, advertising that, you know, people aren't going to be at a game. So they probably won't want to do it themselves directly. Um, but you know you see them all the time on uh, on sites like Ticket Wave, Seat Wave, and all the rest of them. Um, but I, th- I think there's been a recent change in how that uh, sites like that are policed or are allowed to operate. Um, so I think it'll be interesting going forward in the next season or two to see how resale does end up working out because you'll have you'll have supporters not wanting to be undercut, as you say, by you know the, the seat next to them being a tenner cheaper than what they've paid. So. I think it's, a, it's quite a grey area, really. There's a, a security issue as well, because um, you can only buy a ticket if you've got a, a, a purchase history with the club. So you might be you might be a City fan who's not been for, for 15 years and decide you want to take your kid one night. You can't get a ticket unless you've got a purchase history. So, you know, there is a... There is a I'm not sure that... Obviously, there's got to be a way that you can... You can uh, you can get a ticket when you've not been before, but there, there is a there is a, a security problem there uh, in terms of selling on the seats. Moving on to another off-field issue, uh, slightly more unsavoury one regarding the Anfield bus attack before last season's Champions League game between City and Liverpool. Merseyside Police have uh, issued an update today. What can you tell us about that, Stu? Uh, well, basically, Merseyside Police have put out a statement saying that uh, they've exhausted their lines of inquiry and they've made the grand total of zero arrests. Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen all the footage. I've, I've seen bits and pieces of it. Uh, now, what, if, I find it hard to believe that from all the footage that exists, they can't pinpoint any particular individuals. I mean, I've asked them in the past about putting out CCTV mugshots, you know, mugshots of as they do with with other crimes, uh, mugshots of the of people who they want to interview about uh, about about the attack on the city bus, uh, and they said that they didn't have any of those at this moment. Um, they're not saying that the inquiry is closed. They're basically saying we've run out of lines of inquiry. Um, if anyone's got any information, they're still willing to to receive it. But it does seem that they're sort of winding it down uh, and sort of giving up on it. 
which to me is almost carte blanche saying well next time City come to town come and do it again because we ain't going to nick anyone we, we totally failed to get anybody for it last time round um, so you know just come and chuck whatever you want at the City bus because we, we don't we, we, you'll get away with it because you know there was, there was quite a lot of you doing it and you're talking about dozens if not hundreds um, and they uh, and they failed to, to grab a single one of them I mean come on if it was if that had been a member of the royal family driving through Liverpool or somebody from the government or something like that and they they come under fire you can bet your life they'd have made a rest by now absolutely absolutely um, finally to conclude today's podcast this afternoon City have released the annual results we're not going to go too far into that in terms of figures and stuff I'm just going to ask Dan and Stu to both sum up the last 12 months that City have been remarkable during uh, starting with Dan they can't have no complaints can they well apart from maybe the Champions League but I think you know they swept all before them in the league last season uh, the signings are working out well and I think you know the season before they signed Claudio, Claudio Bravo and it didn't really go particularly well did it but I think all the signings um, in the summer before the, the league winning campaign everything's gone to plan everything's down to a tee I think it's quite a smooth operation at the minute um, I think it was Soriano who uh, he's alluded to the um, the Champions League being a, a target now. I think that, that, you know the impression we can get from what they've said is that that's what they're that's the business they're in now. They're in the business of you know challenging the big boys in in the Champions League. So I think you know that's so we can we can expect to see this season a big a big effort on that. From and Stu, your view on a record-breaking year for City? Well, it's it's a record-breaking year on the field as we know all the, I think it's more than 25 records they broke on the field but off the field they've just posted record revenue £500 million um, and it kind of busts the old myth about oil money you know you, you get it on social media all the time oh yeah City are only doing what they're doing because of oil money and of course that was the catalyst for it but now they're standing on their own two feet, two feet and there's only four clubs in the world who are making more money than City and that's United uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern Munich um, and that's, that's sort of through their own initiative through the, their own sponsorship deals and marketing and all the match day revenue and everything else they've just broken £500 million now what people don't realise is that They've only made a profit of ten million pounds, and on the basis, on, on the back of it, that looks really poor. But City are not in the market, not in the business of making a profit. They're not a football club that needs to make a profit. United are because the owners have got United for one reason only: it's a cash cow. They're making money out of it. They, they, they start taking money out of the club, and most other owners are the same. You know, they're taking money out of the club. City's owners are taking no money out of the club, so a ten million pound profit is a major success for them because it means that all the money they're making is being ploughed back into the club, whether it be transfers, uh, developing the business, developing the staff, developing the facilities, and that's, that's exactly what they're doing. So that, that in itself is, is almost as big a deal as what's going on on the pitch. The two things are intrinsically linked, of course. You've, you've, got, you've got the financial performance off the field has been on a massive up. You know, the, those, those revenue figures are up 44% from five years ago. Um, and that feeds directly into what's happening on the pitch. So it's quite, quite scary for the rest of the Premier League, really. You know, they're, they're still pushing forward and moving, moving ahead off the pitch. They're doing exactly the same on the pitch. The two things work together and they're, uh, they're quite a formidable outfit. 
both in football terms and business terms. And that's a very positive note to end uh, this week's um, podcast on. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode of Talking City, and you'll be able to download that on all the usual channels, including ACAST.